Okay, again, that's page 996 in the black Bibles in the seats in front of you. If you need a copy, you can leave it open there, and we'll be in these eight verses. Let me pray, and then we'll consider this passage. Father, because we believe in you, we trust that you have appointed this hour, that this, we, this group of people should be under this passage to hear this word. And so we pray that you would bless us in the reading of it, in the considering of it, and through it, we pray that you would open our hearts to it. Save it, save us from a merely academic consideration of this, but instead let it find its way into our hearts and bury itself into our souls, that it might bear fruit for your great name, our good, and the good of all people. This is what we ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, we are coming now to the final lap in the book of 2 Timothy as we head into chapter 4. And next week we will be down the home stretch and we'll finish out this letter, this final letter of the Apostle Paul. And, and in that, I want you to remember then we are in sort of the final section of this book. And after this, in the following week, in verses 9 and following, you'll hear some closing remarks and some closing requests, but this is essentially the last thing that the Apostle Paul wants to say to Timothy as it pertains to his ministry. And so you are, in some sense, hearing the final words from the final chapter of the final letter of the Apostle Paul. And as they say, last words are often lasting words. So when it comes to a man's end, it crystallizes that which is most important. And here in his final letter and final words is his final charge for the young minister, Timothy. And here it is. Preach the word. Preach the word. Now, there's more that he'll say in this section. He'll expound on it with other imperatives and other commands. But the first and dominant command of this passage is preach the word. That is that having just finished, if you look up, for example, in chapter 3 and scan at the end of chapter 3 before 4, having just finished speaking about the word of God, he says, remember, Timothy, as for you, you're to continue in the scriptures in which you were acquainted from childhood on. And you're to continue because this book, the scriptures, is verse 16 and 17, the God-breathed book which is profitable and useful for training in righteousness and rebuking and exhorting and, and, and equipping the man of God that he may be competent or complete for every good work. So this God-breathed book, which is able to make you wise to salvation in Christ Jesus, which is useful and profitable, you're to continue in it. But now he's going to add to that. Not only, Timothy, are you to continue in this book, you're to communicate this book. You are to announce it. You are to declare it. You are to proclaim it. You are to preach it. Preach the word. And how does Paul give this final charge with his final words in his final letter? How does he issue this charge to preach the word? This week, for example, I was reading of a preacher in our day named H.B. Charles. If you haven't heard that name, you can Google it. He's a wonderful preacher. And H.B. Charles started preaching when he was but a boy. And he recalls the time when he was 16 years old. He had been invited to preach at this six-day event. And at the beginning of the week, as he's far away from home, first time as a young man being away from home to preach, he got this call from home that dad was ill. His heart was grieved, wanted to run back home. And his father got on the phone and he said, Son, I need you to do something for me. I need you to be a man right now and preach. 
He hung up the phone with that instruction from his father. And that, it turned out, would be the last conversation he ever had with his father. In fact, by the end of that week, and when he got home, his father had gone on to be with the Lord. And the lingering words left by his dad on his soul is, Son, preach. H.B. Charles said, not only did that word get him through that week, but it has sustained him for the many years since. That's sort of the sense here as well, is it not? Here is a charge, after all, coming from Timothy's spiritual dad. The one who began this letter in chapter 1, if you remember, by saying to Timothy, my beloved child. And so here's a final word from dad with his parting breath, his last words, lasting words. And here's the call, son, preach. And yet, as powerful as that would be in and of itself, that's actually not how Paul issues the charge. In fact, do you notice how he issues it? So that these are not just the words of a spiritual father. And these are not just the final words of a man. Nor even just the words of an apostle. All of that would be sufficient. But how does Paul issue this charge? He introduces this charge in such a way as to heighten its seriousness. And magnify its importance. And in such a way that it's almost impossible for Timothy to dismiss or diminish or ignore. How does he issue the charge? Look again at verse 1 and 2. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge or to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Can you feel the solemnness with me? I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, the one who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and by his kingdom, preach the word, Timothy. You feel the seriousness of it, that Paul is essentially calling two witnesses in whom and whose presence this charge is given, God the Father and Christ Jesus the Son. That is that soon enough, Paul will no longer be in the presence, in view, or in Timothy's life. But even after his spiritual dad is gone, all of Timothy's ministry will still be in view of God. And still be in view of Christ Jesus. Always, every sermon that's ever preached is in view of Christ Jesus. Is before the presence of Almighty God. And in view of Jesus, the Jesus, Paul adds, who who has appeared as we celebrate every December for Christmas, and who will appear again, and at that other appearing, his second appearing, he will come with his kingdom. That is, the full reign and rule of God will fully and finally and forever be here. And when he comes as king, he will also come as judge, to judge the living and the dead. And so this charge is given to Timothy in the presence of the one you will ultimately stand before, Timothy. In the presence of, in the view of the one that you will ultimately give an account for, Timothy. And since he is judge of all the living and the dead, he will be the one, not only you, but your hearers will stand before as well. And so you see what's at stake here then. Eternal life and death hangs in the balance of what you do with this ministry. And therefore... In view of God and of Christ Jesus, 
the one who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, I charge you, preach the word. Preach. The word there that is the word for herald. The idea in that day would have been if a king in Paul's day, a a Caesar in Paul's day, wanted to issue a charge throughout the empire, he couldn't call Fox News or CNN and get airtime so that the king could deliver a message to the nation. He couldn't go into the broadcasting booth and speak over the airwaves. So how then did the word of the king extend itself to every crevice and corner of the empire? How did every subject and servant hear the message of the king? He would send out heralds. And a herald would go into a city and a herald had one job and one job only, which is to call out and cry out so that everyone might hear the word of the king. To declare the message of the king, the herald was to announce this message publicly because everyone needed to hear what the king had to say. It had relevance to everyone's life. It had something to bear on every person. He was also to proclaim this message faithfully. He couldn't add to it or take something away from it. He couldn't innovate it or be creative with it. He had to declare it as it was, for it wasn't his message. It was the message of the king. And since it was the message of the king, he also had to declare it authoritatively. He wasn't coming on his own behalf or with his title or his position or his power. He was speaking on behalf of the king. And so he spoke faithfully and publicly and authoritatively. And Paul is saying to Timothy, I charge you with that. I charge you, Timothy, herald the message of the king. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach. And if you ask, preach what? He'd add it for you. Preach the word. Preach the word. Isn't that something? This book is called The Word. It's 66 books, 700,000 words, and yet it is faithful to say there is one word. That 66 books and 700,000 words form together one word, one message. You are to preach Jesus. Preach the Word. Preach the message of what God has done in and through Jesus. You're to preach this. And so, Timothy, you are to publicly and faithfully and authoritatively declare to the people the message of the king. And if you ask, what is that message? That message is the grand story told across 66 books and 700,000 words telling you the story that you and I rebelled against God who is king. And we did not live under his rule and his reign, but rather sought to usurp God from his throne, thinking of ourselves as the center of our lives and the center of our worlds and the center of our universe, as if everything orbits around what we want and what we desire, and seeking to be then gods for ourselves. We sought to usurp him, and God responded to that treasonous rebellion of ours. Not by crushing us as we deserve. Not by crushing rebels as a king is able to do. But because this God king loves these rebels, he himself came to take their place. 
and pay for their crimes and take on himself the punishment they deserve and die in the place of the traitors. But that this God King is so powerful that he could also take back his own life and that death wouldn't end him, but that he would end death, and he rose from the dead, and he will, because he is that powerful, defeat finally, fully, and forever all his foes and all his enemies. But for now, the king has issued a moment where there is an offer of free and undeserved and unmerited pardon and grace For every rebel that will willingly bow their knee and submit to the king and see his love and his grace and gladly submit to his rule. For any that will turn from their autonomous rule and accept and receive his rule and reign, there is undeserved, unmerited, free pardon and grace. Timothy, Sevma Road, preach that. I charge you. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, the one who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and by his kingdom, preach the word. He adds to it, be ready in season and out of season. The word there is literally meaning as in the times when it's good and convenient for you and when it's not good and convenient for you. That's in season, when it's good and when it's convenient for you. That's out of season, when it's not good and not convenient for you. For you and your hearers, you are to preach the word. You are to be ready when it's good and convenient for you. When everything in your soul is firing in all cylinders and you're ready to communicate and herald the message of the king. And when nothing in your soul feels energized or charged, but you know this is true, you are to be ready, on guard, always available, in season and out of season, to preach, to herald, to proclaim, to announce, to declare the word, the message of the king. He'll add to this charge more imperatives, as he does in verse 5. Look with me there. He says to Timothy, As for you, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. So if I were to summarize this lump of commands, these phrases of imperatives that is given in this final chapter of the final letter with the final words of the Apostle Paul, it's this is the charge. Timothy, don't quit. And don't give up. But fulfill the ministry that Jesus put on you, gave to you. Keep your head about you, right? Be sober-minded. Endure hardships. Tell people about Jesus. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry and preach the word. There it is. There's the charge. Now, if you asked, why does Paul give this charge here and in the way that he does? Why, for example, is the reason, what's the reason for the urgency and the seriousness and the solemnness in which he gives this charge? I mean, nowhere else in the New Testament do you find a charge packed in this way. Nowhere else is something commanded with these added words of in view of God and of Christ Jesus and and by his appearing and his return and, and his judgeship and his kingship. I mean, why does he give the charge with all the urgency and all the seriousness and all the solemnness he does here? Well, in this passage, he tells us 
In fact, he tells us that there's two things coming which heighten the importance of it, which highlight its urgency. He tells us the first reason why he gives this charge in verse 3. You'll notice the first word there is for, as in he's giving you a reason. I, I charge you to preach the word for, as in because. Here's why. This is the reason. And what's the reason? Verse 3. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Here's what Paul's saying. The first reason, man of God, woman of God, minister of God, that you are to preach the word is because soon enough, people will have no appetite for what you have to say. Your voice must endure because no one will be ready to hear your voice. You must preach the word because soon enough, the message of the king, though needed by all, will be heeded by few. And therefore, you will find that before you know it, what you have to say will become intolerable for people. They'll have no stomach. They, the text here says they won't be able to endure it. Before you know it, the people in the pews will tune out to sound teaching and will tune in to what suits their own passions, the text says. Meaning, there is coming imminently a time, Timothy, and is here now, Seven Mile Road, when the people in the pews will load up their playlists. They will, the text says, accumulate for themselves teachers. Their playlist will be filled with preachers who will say to them what they want to hear. And they will gather and collect teachers to say and tickle what their itching ears desire to hear. They have an itch that can be only scratched by teachers who will never reprove and never rebuke, which is what I charged you, but only will endorse and always will affirm. You see, it seems here that we're getting this teaching, this understanding that while the Bible everywhere condemns false teachers and false teaching, one person said, here we're seeing the other side of that, which is that part of the reason why false preachers have platforms and pulpits is because there are people with itching ears in the pews. The reason they're behind the pulpits is because there's people with itching ears in the pews who will accumulate for themselves preachers and teachers who will teach to suit their own passions and say what they want to hear. And it's for that reason, Timothy, that I am charging you. You, however, must preach the word. It's like one commentator named John Stott said. He said, the harder the times and the deafer the people, the clearer and more persuasive our proclamation must be. Hear that? The harder the times and the deafer the people, the clearer and more persuasive our proclamation must be. You have to be ready, Timothy, in season and out, when it's convenient for you and your hearers and when it's not convenient for you and your hearers. Meaning sometimes you're going to preach and it's going to be like preacher Jonah who comes, if you remember that story, into Nineveh and preaches a very lousy seven or eight word sermon. And at the end of that sermon, the entire city repents and revival breaks out. And everyone from the king to the cows is fasting and seeking the Lord. Sometimes that'll happen. But sometimes you'll be like preacher Noah, 
who will declare a word from God to his generation and speak for a century and it fall on nothing but deaf ears. Sometimes we'll be like preacher Isaiah. And the Lord will say, who will go for us? And Isaiah says, here am I, I'll go. All right, here's your ministry. You're going to speak to a people who ever hearing will never hear. And ever seeing will never perceive. Everything you have to say will always fall on blind eyes and deaf ears. And I'm still calling you to say it. Preach the word. In season and out of season. When it's good and convenient for you and when it's not. And for your hearers, preach the word. Seven Mile Road, what this means is in a day when there will be plenty of voices willing to say what people want to hear, oh God help us, there must be faithful voices willing to say what people need to hear. And the question is, will you be such a voice? And will I? The second reason why Timothy is instructed to preach to fulfill his ministry with the kind of urgency and seriousness and solemnness that Paul charges him here is because there's something else that's coming also, something else that's very imminent and near, and that is Paul's own death. It's almost like Batman is telling Robin, now it's your turn. See, Paul here is saying, Timothy, fulfill your ministry, for I have fulfilled mine, and now it's your turn. We get another four in verse 6, another reason, another why, another because. So he's going to say, Timothy, here's my charge to you. Always keep your head and endure suffering and do the work of an evangelist and fulfill your ministry for, that is, because. Here's the reason why. Verse 6, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. You see, the other thing that's imminent, that's coming, that's right around the corner, Timothy, and which heightens and highlights the reason why you must fulfill your ministry is because my time has come. Remember, Paul's writing this from a prison cell. He's writing this expecting soon on death row to be put to death. And Paul knows his time has come. In fact, here's how he says it. Timothy, I am already being poured out as a drink offering. What Paul does is he reaches back into the first half of his Bible, the Old Testament that Timothy knew, the scriptures that he had been acquainted with. And he remembers that in the Old Testament there was a practice, which is that you would take a quart of wine and you'd pour it out onto the altar as an offering to God. And so here, that means that Paul is seeing his death that way. Meaning, not only is Paul's life and work and activity an offering to God. Paul doesn't just reflect back onto his good, vibrant, useful years. And says, Lord, all those years of, of ministry... All those years of preaching and teaching, all those years of church planting and raising up pastors and training leaders and writing scriptures, I offer that to you, Lord, as a, a living sacrifice to you. No, Paul's not done. In fact, Paul views that even now, as he comes to die and how he dies, will still be one final offering to the Lord. I am being poured out as a drink offering Oh, believer in Jesus Christ, to see your death that way. 
that if God gives grace, that in your final hour you will still be offering even your death unto the Lord as a drink offering to him, that even how you die might be graced to glorify him. I tell you, on this day, I remember I watched my father-in-law die. And, and if God keeps my mind about me, I do not think that I will ever forget it. I remember even this day, Father's Day as it was, I watched videos early this morning of, of him speaking and the kind of man he was and even how he came to die. I remember that on his deathbed, he prayed. They told him to pray and he prayed and he said, use me, Lord. Use me, Lord. Use me, Lord. Five times he repeated that phrase. A man praying that he might be used from a bed that he would never get up from again. Use me, Lord. And then he would pray, Lord, into your hand I commit my spirit. Don't let my soul be destroyed. And only now do I get why that prayer makes sense. Use me, Lord. Here I am, Timothy, being poured out as a drink offering to the Lord so that even in the way that I die, it's unto him. In fact, I have come to think for my own self. I have begun to pray that if God would give grace, that when I come to my own last hour, I'm genuinely praying that that would be the hour of my greatest assurance in the gospel. Don't you hope and pray that when your last hour comes, that if God gives you the grace to be sober-minded in that moment, that it would be the time where you believe in Jesus and the good news more than you have ever believed at any point in your life. That your last hour might be offered even then as a drink offering to the Lord. That's what Paul says. I'm being poured out as a drink offering to the Lord. And then he adds, Timothy, the time of my departure has come. The word there for departure is a word that's used in other Greek writing in the time. For the same word of a, a tent peg that's being pulled up by a soldier. That's breaking down camp and is ready now to go home. So he pulls up the peg. That's his departure. Or it's the word for a boat that's ropes are being loosened so that it might be let out into the open sea. And here's what Paul then is saying here. Paul is saying, Timothy, the ropes holding me to this life are being loosened. The pegs that are holding me down to this earth are being pulled up, Timothy. I'm like a soldier and it's time to break camp and for me to go home. Timothy. And as I go home, I do so, he adds, having fought the good fight, and having finished the race, and having kept the faith, Timothy. Remember, Paul wrote, if we remember together, in chapter 2. Do you remember what he said to young minister Timothy? He said, Timothy, as for you, you be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And then what? Endure or share in suffering like a good soldier. And what's he saying now in chapter 4? I did that. By God's grace and the enduring power of Jesus, I did that. I have fought the good fight, Timothy. And you remember in chapter 2 he said, an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. And now in chapter 4 he's saying, and by God's grace I have finished the race, Timothy. And now, having kept to the faith, Henceforth there is laid for me a crown of righteousness, which to the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. Timothy, here's why you must preach. My voice is about to be taken off the stage, which means more than ever we need your voice to preach the word. 
But as you do it, and as you do it to the end, you might share in the same audacious hope that I have. That when our lives are being poured out like a drink offering, and the tent pegs are being pulled, and the ropes are being loosened, we will go to the righteous judge who will reward us with the crown of life. In fact, would you think of this? Even if you're here and you're not a Christian, would you listen in for a second on the audacious hope that a man or a woman who believes in King Jesus has? Such is the audacious hope of this believer named Paul that what he's essentially saying is, listen, Timothy, soon enough, I will be declared guilty by the Roman Empire. And the Caesar on the throne will count me an enemy of the state, a threat to the empire, and put me to death. But as soon as that is done, the righteous judge will vindicate me. The last words I'll hear on this earth are guilty. And the first words I'll hear in the world to come is innocent. I will be vindicated. And vindicated by who? The righteous judge. The one who will judge all the living and the dead. Meaning the one the Caesar will stand in front of. And the one the Roman Empire will give an account to. And the one that all people everywhere will stand before. That righteous judge will vindicate me. So one second after I'm declared guilty, I will be counted innocent. And forever welcomed with life. Or such is the bold and audacious hope of a Christian. Would you consider this? History tells us that in all likelihood, the way that Paul died was a sword to his head. So what's Paul saying here? What's the audacious hope of a Christian? Timothy, in just a few moments, in just due time, short enough, soon enough, my head will go rolling about the Roman way. But that very head will be crowned with the crown of righteousness. See, that's the hope of a Christian. And Paul is saying, Timothy, and this isn't just for me, this is for all. All who have loved his appearing. All who celebrated that he came once. And all who can't wait that he'll come again. All who hope in that will be crowned with righteousness, with life, even as I am. That includes you, Timothy. That includes you, brother and sister. That includes me. Don't you see, Timothy? We are in a relay race. And my lap is finished. I have finished the race. And I'm handing you the baton. And son, you need to run. You need to endure. You need to keep your head about you and endure suffering and tell people about Jesus and fulfill the ministry that Jesus has given you. And you need to preach the word because soon enough, son, if you will and if you do, when all the hardships of this life are done, you too will receive the reward of the crown of righteousness given to you by the righteous judge when you too come home, when the tent pegs are pulled up and the ropes are loosened like I am. Let me end by telling you a story that I read this week. I read this week an account of this missionary couple named Henry Morrison and his wife. They had spent four decades on the continent of Africa. And after 40 years, to be honest, they had little to show for their work. But now old, it was time to come home. And so they were returning back to the United States. And they boarded a ship headed for New York. 
And the story goes that as that ship pulled into the dock in New York, they suddenly saw that on the dock there were waiting banners and flags, welcome home signs and bands. There were crowds and reporters all gathered about. What they didn't know, but soon came to find out, was that President Teddy Roosevelt also happened to be on that ship, and that he was returning home after a three-week safari on the African continent where he had gone hunting for wild animals. And so now here was the president received by banners and signs and bands and, and flags and all the rest. And as the president disembarked from the ship, he was greeted by all of that. And as he was escorted to his car, when he left, so left the crowds. And the banners came down and the flags were pulled away. And there was no more band singing and there were no more reporters. In fact, there was no one left. When all the ordinary folks disembarked from the ship, this missionary couple among them, there was no one left to greet Henry Morrison and his wife. In fact, they hailed their own cab, drove it to a single-bedroom apartment in New York. And Henry Morrison speaks of sitting in that apartment and suddenly feeling like, Lord, this doesn't make any sense. The president went on a hunting trip for three weeks and came home to be received with all that. We slugged it out for 40 years. 40 years, four decades, and we've come home to nothing. And the missionary says at that moment, he heard this small whisper in his soul saying, but son, you're not home yet. And there it is, Savamaru. There is a day coming when the righteous judge will crown on these heads of ours the crown of righteousness. When we will be vindicated for everything we've believed and endured, when we will be ushered into life. There's the day coming when we will be rewarded by the righteous judge who will judge the living and the dead. But until that day, keep your head about you and endure suffering and tell people about Jesus and fulfill your ministry and preach the word. Let's pray together. God, we pray that by the help of your spirit, you might help us here, not from a man, but from you yourself, a charge given in your presence and in view of who you are, and what you will do as judge of the living and the dead, as the one who will come with your kingdom to reign. And we pray that we would receive this charge to preach the word, that you'd help all of us here to endure hardship, to keep our heads sober-minded, to do the work of evangelists, and to fulfill the ministry that you've given to us. Come help us, we ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen.